0: Today I'm going to show you several different ways to dice an onion. i cut the onion in half that way, peel it, leave the nub on, then slice this way, slice this way, careful here, your knife has to be sharp or it will slide, and chop your fingers off. Congratulations, you did a great job. This next technique was the main way people chopped things before the 40s when knives were invented, and what you want to do is just firmly throw it against the wall. From there, you can just grab each other individual piece and and chuck that against the wall to make it more fine. The next technique you'll only be able to do if you have a yellow belt in Taekwondo like me, and if you beat your cousin Chris to win first place at the St. Clair College Tournament, then you'll be able to pull this one off. So what you want to do is just line up your hand and give it a good... Look at that. That is a nice clean hit right there.
1: All right, well, good afternoon, everyone. I hope you all are enjoying the cooking lessons that we're doing here week after week. If you're just kind of tuning in, we are wrapping up. We're in our our finale of a six-week series called Seasoning Life. We are not just learning how to chop onions, but we are learning how to make sure that our lives have just the right amount of seasoning on them. And we've been kind of following this verse right here from Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, that says that we as the children of God, we should walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time, letting our speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And what we've been kind of looking at is saying that our lives as Christians, even the name Christian, the name Christian was originally given to the children of God because their lives stood out. Their lives didn't taste like everybody else's lives. They said, you people over there, you're different than the rest of us. And we want to know why do you do the things that you do? And why don't you do the things that we do? They lived what we call questionable lives and it made the rest of us say, what is it with you guys? Well, that's how we're all called to live. Our lives seasoned in just the right way that taste a little bit different than everybody else's. And even when we stand in front, of, in front of God and we pray, the lives that are seasoned with just the right amount of salt makes that prayer taste a little bit better. And what we're looking at is five habits. And kind of to review what the five habits are here, they follow the acronym BELS, And we kind of been looking at these five habits and saying that a life of a child of God, a follower of Christ, must encompass habits that make us stand out. And these are the the four that we've looked at so far. First week we looked at blessing others. And we said that we as Christians, children of God, our lives should stand out because we should be more generous than everybody else. We're not stingy, we look for opportunities to give and to share what God has given us. So it shouldn't come to a surprise when someone says, this person blessed me so much, I bet you they're a Christian. Like that's how it should be. Second one we looked at is eating. All right, we didn't go in this order necessarily, but the second one is eating. And the eating was all about fellowship and about depth and relationships. And we saw like the first two habits, the blessing and the eating kind of deal with our relationship outside and how we should be with the outside world. And we saw that our relationship with the outside world, we should share a table with one another. and We should share meals with one another because that's how depth comes. The next two kind of focus on the inside, listening and learning. And those are about learning Christ, like increasing in our knowledge of Christ and not just being content with, you know, I accepted him and I believed him and not just being content, but I want to grow deeper in my knowledge of him. And one of the primary ways we do that is by learning and also by listening, spending time in silence. And someone, several people told me from this past week, the assignment was to spend 10, 15 minutes in silence. And I knew that'd be really hard for some people, but I am so proud. So many people said that they tried it. And several people told me, I don't need silence. I need to read and I'd listen to sermons and I need, and I need. And I said, you know, it's the exact opposite. The reason that we need silence is because we hear so much of the word of God. We hear sermons. We hear messages. We watch things on the TV and we got so much of God's messages all around us. But the problem is none of them ever sink inside and take roots. What we need is a time to sit and let those messages and see which one goes a little bit deeper. So you see the four habits that we talked about so far. Two of them are love the Lord your God and two of them are love your neighbor. That's what Jesus said. All of life is love God and love your neighbor. Two of them focused on loving God, growing into my relationship with Him through listening and learning. And the other two manifesting that love outside and love of neighbor by blessing and eating. Now for the last of the habits, the final S here. Before I go to that habit, I wanna go back and remind you of something I said in week one of this series. When we started the series, I said that the critical part of, 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 of understanding all these habits and being able to implement them is how we identify ourselves. And I said, for this year, in 2016, I have a word for the year. And I'm choosing for this year to identify myself, remind myself that I am a soldier. I am a soldier. I am not a civilian. I am a soldier. I am a soldier in the kingdom of God. And a soldier in the kingdom of God means, like a civilian wants what's best for the kingdom and wishes the best for the kingdom, but the civilian sits on the sideline and does nothing. Soldier has the same desire, but he does something about it. And I said, in the kingdom of God, in the war between dark and light, between good and evil, in the, in the war between the children of God and the children of the devil, all right, I need to be on the front lines. And I need not just be sitting back. And as a soldier, I do things that a civilian might say are needless. A soldier get up and, and do 50 push-ups. Soldier get up and run three miles. A soldier do those things before breakfast, even, before he even thought about breakfast. A civilian, we train for months to get to three-mile run. And a civilian, we do 50 push-ups to reward ourselves with a trip to Denny's. But a soldier thinks nothing of these things because that's life of a soldier. The final habit, the final habit encompasses all the other habits. And it's truly a life of a soldier. If you summarized it in one word, and it's a life that Jesus lived in one word, I would say it's sacrifice. final habit we're going to talk about here today encompasses all the other habits. And we're going to see here today that you can't do any of the others unless you have this sacrifice thing down. And the sacrifice limitlessly basically means this, that you should do this a couple times a week, you should do this, or you should do this. But you know what? There's a whole bunch of life of Jesus that's outside of the four things that I talked about. So let me put them all in one bucket and say that we as children of God must be children who practice sacrifice on a regular basis. But before I get into that, Let me tell you a story, every person here can relate to. Every person can relate to, youngest to oldest, everyone can relate to this story. I wanna talk about a place, which I'm gonna, this place, we've all been to this place, heard about this place. This place is a microcosm for our country. Our free market, capitalistic, supply and demand, country in which we live in. And that place is Chuck E. Cheese. Can I just say, I hate Chuck E. Cheese. And I got nothing against anyone who works there or whose parents work there or who love it. That's great. I hate Chuck E. Cheese. I hate Chuck E. Cheese because number one, it is so crowded. And there are so many little rugrats running all around all over the place. I hate Chuck E. Cheese because the second you get there, all the kids take off their shoes and take off their socks and start running around just barefoot all around. And I really, really hate it, because you see those little snot-nosed little kids, and they're in that little ball shoot, and people are sneezing, and they're mixing around, and their feet all over the place, and people are picking their nose and wiping the thing, and yeah, it's disgusting. It's like a germ museum is what that place is right there. And you know what I hate most about Chuck E. Cheese? Parents agree with me on this one. You walk into Chuck E. Cheese, it's as if there's a honing device on your wallet. It's as if you walk in and the money just starts flying out, okay? The money just starts right as, you don't know what happened. You walk out of there a couple hours later and you're down like $1,000 or something like that. How? And you know why? Because what do children love about Chuck E. Cheese? Why do kids go to Chuck E. Cheese? Is it the pizza? People don't care about the pizza. Is it for fellowship? Let's have fellowship with what other, other six-year-olds together. Is it because they love the musical sounds of a singing mouse named Chuck? People go to Chuck E. Cheese. Y'all know what this is? Okay, this may be kind of small, so ask my daughter. Make us a bigger one. Y'all know what this is? This, if you don't know what this is, this is something called a ticket. This ticket, if you are under the age of seven or eight years old, is better than heroin and crack cocaine. It is more addictive. You will sell your mother for tickets. You will do whatever it takes. Step on the little guy, whatever it takes, for these guys because your life, look, if you are a six year old and you got tickets, the world's at your fingertips. You walk around first grade and you stop throwing tickets here and you're the talk of the town. You got any girl you want in first grade, that's yours. You got no tickets, you're a loser like the rest of the other schmucks. Tickets are the most valuable commodity to someone who's six, seven years old. How do kids get tickets? What do you do to get tickets? Well, you know, those who, get, those who have been there before, You have to succeed in highly skilled contests, like Whack-A-Mole, the basketball shoot, and everyone's favorite, Skee-Ball. And you're going for that 500 in the middle every single time, even though you're never going to get it, and you know the odds are, play the outside, just get the 100, and you'll be, but you play for that 500 every single time. And you got to play these games, and if you play the games and you win, you get tickets. And what do you do with the tickets? You exchange them for gifts. This is a yo-yo. This costs approximately $500 worth of tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and just in case you think, just in case you think that this is just a children's thing. Okay, parents, we're not immune to this. either. One time Lizzie came to me and she had spent all of our money, life saving, college fund, like everything. And she was 20 tickets short of like this dumb board game. Okay? And she just needed 20 ticks. She just kind of convinced me. And I'm like, no, no. But she convinced me. Next thing I know, I end up spending $10. And I'm playing the ski ball and I'm trying to get the thing. I spent $10 extra money to get a little board game I could probably pay $3 for in Walmart. But anyone who knows how Chuck E. Cheese goes knows it's not about the value. It's not about the prize. It's about the chase for the tickets. Hypothetically now. Hypothetically. Let's say you find a kid who's very good getting tickets and he has a whole bunch of these tickets, 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 tickets. And then at the end of the day he has 5,000 tickets. And you ask him, hey Junior, what are you gonna do with your tickets? And he says, I'm gonna take them home with me. I'm gonna take them home and I'm gonna keep them on my wall and I'm gonna put them all up on the wall and I'm gonna hang them around and say, look everyone, I'm gonna make a little, a little museum to my tickets. Tickets, tickets, tickets. I'm gonna frame the tickets. And every day Selfie with the ticket. You know what I mean? And post that everywhere. And then I'm going to say this tickets and give them my children one day as an inheritance. What would you say to this child? What would you say to this child? You'd say, you missed the point of the ticket. The point of the ticket wasn't to have the ticket. The point of the ticket was to exchange for the yo-yo or the board game or the ring with the, 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 the chocolate inside or whatever. The point of the ticket, agree with me on this one, was to exchange it for something of greater value than the ticket. Everyone agree with me? We, we fight, we claw, we sell our mother, like anything for tickets, not so that we have tickets, but so that we can exchange the ticket for something of more value. We do this all the time. You work 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, why? To get money. Then what do you do with that money? You give it away. You work so hard to accumulate money. Give me the money, give me the money as soon as you get the money, you give it away. You exchange it for a car, change it for a vacation. You do it all the time. I was telling my wife, one of the things for her that I feel so bad for, she slaved hours and hours to cook a meal, hours to cook a meal, hours. She gets all the food, she gets the ingredients, she does this and that, 14 seconds, it's wiped out. 14 seconds, she put that plate in front of me, 14 seconds later, it's all gone. Doesn't it seem like a waste to spend all that time getting the money just to give it away on a vacation? Doesn't it seem like a waste to spend all that time getting the food, cooking the food, just give it away to these carnivores who are just going to swallow it in 14 seconds? Yeah, but that's the purpose of it. How happy would you be with a plate full of food that you could never eat? How happy would you be with a bank account full of money that you can never spend? How happy would you be with a room full of tickets and no yo-yos that you could exchange it for? What we're talking about here today is sacrifice. And usually when we talk about sacrifice, we talk about sacrifice in a negative way. We talk about it in a way of just give stuff up, make a sacrifice, give stuff up. And I don't believe that's what sacrifice means. And you know who agrees with me? Dictionary.com. Because look what dictionary.com says is what sacrifice means. It's not what you think. We think it's an act of giving up something, period. But it's not. It's an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. You see how that works? Sacrifice is not just give up something for the sake of giving it up. It's give up something to get something more valuable. So here's my definition. Here's I'm going to reword this. And you write this down if you're taking notes. Sacrifice means to exchange something of value for something of greater value. It means to give up something or exchange something of value to get something of greater value instead. Tickets have values Yo-yos have more values. Dollars have value. Vacation with the family has more value. Food has value, but nutrients and being alive has greater value. The goal this week is to discuss this concept of sacrifice and look at what it means and look for things in life that have value and then see how we can exchange it for something of greater value. Let's start with a biblical look at sacrifice. We won't go through it all, but if you open up the pages of Scripture, you would see from the very beginning the concept of sacrifice from the very beginning. You go to the Old Testament, and you see that God gave an elaborate system of sacrifices. And he taught the people, for every scenario of life, here's your sacrifice. You offer a bull when it's this. You offer a pigeon when it's this. You want this, you offer grain. You want this, you offer a bird. An elaborate system of sacrifices, on every scenario and situation they might face in life. Why did God want bulls to be killed? Like, why would God say, put a bull on the altar and sacrifice him to me? Does God care about the bull? Like, is God gonna eat the bull? Like, shouldn't God be fasting anyway? Like, why does God care about the bull being dead? Why does God care about the people giving their crops? Why does God care about any of those sacrifices? It wasn't the sacrifice, it wasn't the item, it was the principle he was trying to teach them of something of value, exchange for something of greater value. Look at this verse right here. Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus summarized it. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What he's saying is, learn to look at the value, and then see, can I exchange this for something of greater value? And if you do, that doesn't sound like a sacrifice to me. That sounds like what? To give up something of value and get something of greater value. Does that sound like a sacrifice? What's another word we use for that? That sounds like an investment to me. When I give up something of of value and I get something of greater value, that doesn't sound like sacrifice. That sounds to me like a wise investment. If I can give a dollar and get two, I'm not sacrificing a dollar. I'm making a wise investment choice. And that's what Jesus is telling us right here. In the Old Testament, what he said, you have an animal, but if you sacrifice that animal, I'll give you forgiveness, which is more valuable. He said, you have crops, but if you sacrifice some of your crops, I'll give you blessing in your home, which is more valuable. Once a year, he said, take a lamb, a valuable lamb without blemish, and sacrifice that. And if you sacrifice that lamb, I will give you atonement for all of your sins. You see what he's teaching them? Sacrifice is, don't just look at the value of that you're giving up. Look at the value that you could have by this sacrifice. Let me give you an example to make this clear. I'll give you two examples from the New Testament of opposite ends of the spectrum. First was a guy in Mark chapter 10. And this is commonly known as the rich young fool. Because this man was rich, and he was very spiritual, and he was very holy. And he came to Jesus, and he asked him this. Mark 10:17. Now as he was going out, meaning he was Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit? Like, it's a great question. And what Jesus said is, keep the commandments. You've heard the commandments, keep those. And the man said, I've done all those commandments. So Jesus said, bravo, that's fantastic. Now let me take you to the next level. Next verse, 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, Sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Pause the story right there. Jesus said to him what? Jesus asked him what? See, there's two ways to look at this verse. There's a first half and a second half. And usually we look at this, when we, especially we don't want to obey it, we look at the first half. We say Jesus is so tough because Jesus asked him for a lot. Right? Jesus said, basically what Jesus said is, give me all your tickets. You know these tickets that you work so hard for, the tickets, the tickets, the tickets? Give me all your tickets. But was Jesus just asking for the tickets? Or was Jesus offering a toy in exchange? Look what he said. He said, you give me all your tickets, not give you what? Treasure in heaven. Look, you don't need to be very well versed in the Bible or in church to know that treasure is good, heaven is good. Treasure in heaven is very, very, very good. I don't know what that means. You don't even know what it means. But you know, Jesus says, I'll give you heaven, and I'll give you treasure. I'll give you treasure in heaven. You say, thank you, sir. You know that no amount of tickets is as valuable as treasure in heaven. So this is a no-brainer. Give you my tickets. Imagine you go to Chuck E. Cheese and say, okay, give me your tickets. I'll give you a Ferrari. But you're going to take all my tickets. But I'm going to give you a Ferrari. But I want my tickets and the tickets and I fought so hard for the tickets. You see how we look at this verse wrong? And that's how this man did. Look at the man. But he was sad at this word. How can you be sad when Jesus is offering you treasure in heaven? Jesus said, I will give you treasure in heaven. He was sad. Why? For he had great possessions. Tickets. Couldn't let go of the tickets. Let's do the opposite story. The opposite story is actually a few chapters later same, same gospel. Mark chapter 12. Then one poor widow came in and threw in two mites. Two mites is less than the value of two pennies. Two pennies, which make a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. The first guy wouldn't let go of his tickets, missed out on a treasure. This lady only had two measly tickets. Just two. Two tickets can't buy nothing. You can't blow, get a tissue to blow your nose with two tickets. And she gave those two tickets. And what did she get in exchange? Something value of two tickets? She got what that rich fool missed out on. Now you say, as I say, is that fair? Is that fair? She gave two tickets. He had 10,000 tickets. Was it fair of Jesus to ask her for two and reward her for two, but he asked him for 10,000? Like, is that fair? Like, if he had gone to the man and say, man, give me two mites and I'll give you treasure in heaven. The man would have said, okay, deal. If he have said to the man, give me 20 mites, Give me, a, give, me, give me half of your goods. Man would have said, deal. That's a win-win. But he didn't say that. He said, give me everything. Is that fair or not fair? Is that fair or not fair? It's not fair. Unless you're reading a different, uh, it's not fair. This lady was asked much easier than him. Yeah, she gave all her livelihood, but come on, when you got two pennies, You're not breaking the bank. That gets us to our second lesson here for the day. It's not the value of what's sacrificed. It's the relative value that matters. And that sentence needs explanation because that can be misinterpreted. It's not the value. It's the relative value. Let's go back to Chuck E. Cheese. And pull out my little ticket right here. This is too small, she couldn't make me a big one of these. You'll see what this is. This is a penny, okay? A one cent penny, some of you never seen it before, okay? One cent. Which has more value, a penny or a ticket? In case, I'm sure you can't read it, okay? These things say, no cash value. Which has more value? A penny or a ticket? A penny. A penny anywhere in the United States of America I can go and use this to purchase goods and services. This can only be used at one specific store. This will have value forever. Now it may be small value, but it's value. This value is zero. So which one has more value, penny or ticket? Penny. If I'm walking down the street, and I see three pennies, I'm not going to bend over and pick them up. In fact, to find this one penny in my house took quite a, a long time. Had to go through my wife's purse, okay, to find this at the bottom. But if I found tickets, I'm to push an old lady out the way to get those tickets. The penny has value, the ticket has no value. But the ticket has value, where the penny has no value. So which is it? Absolute value, the penny is higher. No doubt about it. This absolute value is zero. But relative value, which is higher. Like if Chuck E. Cheese were to take pennies instead of tickets, you could buy this dumb yo-yo for probably 13 of these pennies. That's probably how much it costs. 50 tickets or 13 pennies. The penny has more absolute value. But relative value, which is harder to give up, is not even close. It's a no-brainer. The answer is the ticket. One time. And don't, don't, don't tell me that you're any different than me, okay? Especially parents. Don't tell me you're any different than me. Show you the value of a ticket. I remember one time we were at the thing, okay, and the kid, and I remember some kid walked away, and there was two tickets left in his machine after he finished. And I kind of did a look left, look right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I felt like I was robbing a bank, you know what I mean? Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> but that's the value. If it was two pennies. I kicked him off and get him out of my way. Like, these pennies are in my way. Relative value of tickets is higher than the relative value of pennies. Everyone understands, right? This makes sense. This is why the sacrifice of the widow was greater than the sacrifice Oh, I'm not shouldn't say greater because the guy didn't do it But that's why her two pennies are more valuable than his two pennies Her two mites were more valuable than his two mites because for him It was a sacrifice of two pennies that meant nothing. For her it meant no dinner For her it meant no food on the table for Herman, I don't know how I'm gonna get another one of these pennies. So that sacrifice ultimately meant more than his sacrifice if he had made the exact same one. What does that mean for me and you? That means this. Let me give you some examples. That means that a CEO of a company who quits his job to start a nonprofit and to dedicate his life to the service of others is a greater sacrifice than a person who is 38 years old, never had a steady job in his life, say, so you know what, I wanna get in the nonprofit field. It's not the same sacrifice. That means Y'all gonna like me on this one, okay? That means that you joined Orthodox Church right here and we're talking about Lent. And then Lent is fasting and Lent is fasting and we go vegan. And some of us who are born into it, we have beans in our blood, okay? Like you cut us open and we got beans flowing out of us. For the person who's just joining and it's their first Lent, and that person to try to make a sacrifice to go vegan or even just vegetarian, that's a much greater sacrifice. That's a much greater sacrifice than the person who's been eating beans his whole life and can make the beans in his sleep. You walk into church, I say tithe. And certain people who are not church people say, what is this tithing all about? Why do I gotta pay to come to church? Is it like a membership fee? Like how does this stuff work? We were raised with this stuff and we knew that from the beginning that you get 100%, 10% belongs to God and you keep 90%. Like, that was, my point is certain people, it's easier for them to tithe than other people. So I'm saying, don't compare yourself. And don't say, I can never match that person's sacrifice. Or don't think that God looks at all sacrifices the same. It's not about the value. It's about the relative value. It's not about what you give as much as about the manner in which you give it. Someone, a friend of mine, sent me a nice quote. This past week, we were talking about, like, listening and praying, okay? And this person was telling me they struggled, you know, with this quiet time and this listening, and they struggled with this thing. And he sent me this quote. He said, true spiritual maturity is when you follow him, when you can't hear him. I like that. So Some of you, I say spend 10 minutes in silence. That's easy for you. You can do that like one hand tied behind your back. Like that's, that's, that's you. You want to spend an hour in silence and you look down at the people who can't. Puh, you heathen. You can't spend 10 minutes in silence. And I'm telling you, the true sacrifice is the one who can't pray, but prays. And the one who doesn't understand the Bible, but pushes himself to read it. And the one who can't get up early for church and church is difficult for him, but he pushes himself to do it anyway. The one who sacrifices something of value for something of greater value. Don't look at it in an absolute sense because that's not what God does. What God looks at, as we see from these two verses, is the heart. Look at Proverbs 23, 26 and put it next to Matthew 20, 6, 21. My son, this is what God is saying. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my, my, your, let your eyes observe my ways. Give me your heart, not give me your money, not give me your fasting, not give me your anything on this earth. Give me your heart. Well, how do I know if I give him my heart? Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not about the sacrifice. It's about the heart. Believe me, we are here, you, we're all going to stand in front of God one day. When you stand in front of God, he's not going to talk about how much money you gave and how much time you volunteered and what time you came to church. None of that stuff. He's going to look at the heart. Well, how do I know if my heart is right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I'll give you some more analogies, more pertinent. I honestly believe with all my heart that a young person today, and you define young however it is you want, a young person today to keep himself pure will receive a greater reward than when we were young or our parents were young or our grandparents were young and kept themselves pure because the battle is not the same today. I look at these high school kids and college kids and I say one of them makes it out of there and his purity is intact, then I say that guy has a greater reward than I did or my parents did or my grandparents did. Someone who has plenty of financial resources available to him, plenty of financial, never struggled a day in his life, versus someone who goes from job to job and can't keep a steady income and doesn't know how he's going to put food on the table for his wife and kids. And that person is tempted to cheat. And that person attempted to steal. I'm telling you, if he overcomes that temptation, he has a greater reward than the one who is easy for him. Joy. The one who can find joy in life with the trial is greater than the one who has no trials and smiling all day long. It's not the absolute value. It's relative value that matters. <clears throat> As we wrap up this series our homework item for this week is not an action item. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you to understand the concept of sacrifice and say that our entire lives as Christians is centered around it. And the reason why I say that is because the life of the one who we follow was centered around it. Let me give you two verses. Galatians 1, four. He... Who gave himself up for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. <clears throat> his life sacrificed. Why? So that we could be delivered. Sacrifice? So that we could be delivered. Next verse, Mark ten forty-five. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to sacrifice His life so that we could have life. Jesus didn't come to sacrifice His life so that we could just go to heaven one day. He came to give His life. Here He had life. To sacrifice that life so that we could have life. That we could have His life. That's the exchange. That's the sacrifice. I'll give up my life and then you can have life. Now earlier, I said that the meaning of sacrifice was what? What was the definition? To give up something of value for something of greater value. Does that definition fit the sacrifice that I just described to you? To give up something of value for something of greater value. Jesus gave up his life so that we could have life. Jesus gave up his life so that I could live? Like his life for my life? Does that definition fit that example? Whose life has greater value, mine or Jesus? Jesus, I ain't even close. So how does this make sense? First thing, when you live a life of sacrifice, often it won't make sense to people. It won't make sense. No, you need the money. Why are you blessing someone else? You need the money. Doesn't make sense. Keep the money for yourself. Why are you tithing to church? You need the money right now. Give to church later. What well, makes sense? No, no, no. You earn that time off. Hang out. Let's go have fun. Let's party. Why are you go visit your parents? Have a meal with your parents? Like, why you do that? Why you waste your time with that? You earned it. No, 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 no. You're going to spend time with God? You did that last week and you'd hear nothing. That doesn't make any sense. Why would someone who tried to listen to God last week spend more time listening? It doesn't make any sense. The sacrifice doesn't make any sense. It's It's a foolish sacrifice. You're giving up something much more valuable and you're getting nothing. Let me show you a nice verse that maybe you never understood before, but maybe you can understand now in light of this. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. I'm going to come back to that. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, God, died on a cross. You say, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. That highlighted part is the most important part of this verse. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's a very difficult phrase to translate. And and all the different people who translate it, like you got to kind of understand what he's saying, even though the words are difficult to understand. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God means this. I'll give you my own translation. He didn't think that it was a steal or it was was robbery, that he was God, he just gave away his life. Like we look at it and say, God died for man, he got robbed. He got robbed. Like man, for God. Like, that's it. That's a steal. But Jesus said no. He did not consider it robbery. That he would give up. In fact, what he did is he flipped a seesaw. He said, let me go down so that you could go up. And if you want to know what Lent and Holy Week is all about, it's exactly that. Is it him saying, let me go down, that you can go up. Let me sacrifice, so that you can have. Let me give my life, so that you can have. And then what do we do with that? Holy Week, for those who are kind of new to this Holy Week thing, we gather during Holy Week every single day for church, multiple times a day, morning and evening. We spend a lot of hours in church. And we read a lot of readings. We sing a lot of hymns. And we go through day by day, hour by hour, the events of the final week of Christ's life. And we see this sacrifice in front of our eyes. We see the seesaw. And we see that as we approach Thursday, Good Friday, we see that seesaw totally shifted. And then what? And then what? We clap for him. We say, that was great, Jesus. Next year, same time. We sing for him. We tell him how much we appreciate it or as he commanded us so often, that I love you, and then you go love somebody else. I wash your feet, you go wash somebody else's feet. I give my life for you, and then you be willing to go give your life for others. You see how this thing works? You see, here's the principle that we learned very, very long time ago. That if someone gives you a gift, your gift back to them has to match. Someone gives you an expensive gift, you can't come at them with a cheap gift. You have to match. So that's why when you come to my kid's birthday party, we write down exactly what you gave to us so we don't get you something more expensive. We write down, board game, you're getting a board game. Okay? My wife who does this, not really. Okay? Because it has to match. So God said, I sacrificed my life for you. I sacrificed my life for you. And I see my life, I don't count it as very valuable. And I'm willing to give it up to get something of greater value. And now What? Write it down. He sacrificed his life. And now I have to respond back on his birthday present. And what am I going to give him? Are you willing to give up something today for something greater tomorrow? Are you willing to go through, like I said, like we talked about with with this series? Are you willing to say, you know, I don't have time, but you know what? I'm gonna make time for this relationship. I don't have time to eat out with this person. I don't, I don't even want to eat out with this person. Like, I don't want, but I'm gonna make time for this person. You're gonna be able to sacrifice and say, you know what? I worked hard for this money and I earned this money, but it is an honor and a blessing for me to sacrifice this to give it to someone else. And people will tell you, don't do it. That person's lazy, don't give them anything. They didn't earn it. You earned the ticket, you earned the ticket. And you say, but I didn't get the ticket for the sake of the ticket. And I'm happy to give away that ticket to get something higher. My time, if I can sacrifice my time to get something. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not live a life of sacrifice. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not live a life of sacrifice. You can't. Because he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'll tell you what, that verse I showed you before, uh, he came to give his life as a ransom for many, that's a very special verse to me because I feel like that's, the goal of life for me is that because that was the verse that was read at my ordination when I was ordained as a priest. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45 was the gospel that was read, and it was about Jesus the servant who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I feel like that's my job description. And it's not just because I'm a priest, that's all of our job description is that he has given his life to us, and it's our job to give our lives back to him and for the sake of his kingdom and the sake of his cause, and know that in the end, <laughs> it's just tickets that we're giving up. It's just tickets. I want to invite our music team to come back up on stage because there's no better way to end any series and spend a little bit of time, okay, and sing a song, say a prayer. And as we sing this song, okay, and about to say this prayer, I want to encourage everybody that as we are approaching the end of Lent, the holiest time of the year, that we take some time to examine our hearts. I say sacrifice and you know eh? that's not a money issue. That's a heart issue. I say sacrifice, and that's a hard issue. So we need to examine our hearts. Because I tell you what, every year that I've been alive, Holy Week ends the same way. At the cross of Christ on Good Friday. Every year, it ends up he dies on a cross. Every year. And when you're face-to-face with Christ on the cross, you're all going to come face-to-face with Him, as we're going to stand on Good Friday. We're going to stand face-to-face with Him, And it's not going to be about our money. It's not going to be about our time. It's going to be about our heart, And that's the only thing that's going to be in front of him. What are you going to say about your heart? What's going to be your answer as he peers into your heart? That's what I'm asking you to examine. Because in the end, nothing matters other than that face-to-face that we have with God. Okay? Let's stand up together.